Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. The Life and Adventures of Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe Chapter 12, A Cave Retreat, Part 3 For certain it is that these savage people, who sometimes haunted this island, never came with any thoughts of finding anything there, and consequently never wandered off from the coast, and I doubt not, but they might have been several times on shore after my apprehensions of them had made me cautious, as well as before. Indeed, I look back with some horror upon the thoughts of what my condition would have been if I had chopped upon them and been discovered before that, that when naked and unarmed except with one gun, and that loaded often only with small shot, I walked everywhere, peeping and peering about the island, to see what I could get. What a surprise should I have been in if, when I discovered the print of a man's foot, I had, instead of that, seen fifteen or twenty savages, and found them pursuing me and by the swiftness of their running, no possibility of my escaping them. The thoughts of this sometimes sank my very soul within me, and distressed my mind so much that I could not soon recover it, to think what I should have done, and how I should not only have been unable to resist them, but even should not have had presence of mind enough to do what I might have done, much less what now, after so much consideration and precaution, I might be able to do. Indeed, after serious thinking of these things, I would be melancholy, and sometimes it would last a great while. But I resolved it all at last into thankfulness to that providence which had delivered me from so many unseen dangers, and had kept me from those mischiefs, which I could have no way been the agent in delivering myself from, because I had not the least notion of any such thing depending, or the least supposition of it being possible. This renewed a contemplation which often had come into my thoughts, in former times, when first I began to see the merciful dispositions of heaven in the dangers we run through in this life. How wonderfully we are delivered when we know nothing of it! How, when we are in a quandary as we call it, a doubt or hesitation whether to go this way or that, a secret hint shall direct us this way, when we intended to go that way. Nay, when sense, our own inclination, and perhaps business has called us to go the other way, yet a strange impression upon the mind, from we know not what springs, and by we know not what power, shall overrule us to go this way, and it shall afterwards appear that had we gone that way, which we should have gone, and even to our imagination ought to have gone, we should have been ruined and lost. Upon these and many like reflections I afterwards made it a certain rule with me, that whenever I found those secret hints, or pressings of mind to doing or not doing anything I presented, or going this way or that way, I never failed to obey the secret dictate, though I knew no other reason for it, than such a pressure or such a hint hung upon my mind. I could give many examples of the success of this conduct in the course of my life but more especially in the latter part of my inhabiting this unhappy island. Besides many occasions which it is very likely I might have taken notice of, if I had seen with the same eyes then that I see with now. But it is never too late to be wise, and I cannot but advise all considering men whose lives are attended with such extraordinary incidents as mine, 
or even though not so extraordinary, not to slight such secret intimations of providence. Let them come from what invisible intelligence they will. That I shall not discuss, and perhaps cannot account for. But certainly they are a proof of the converse of spirits, and a secret communication between those embodied and those unembodied, and such a proof as can never be withstood, of which I shall have occasion to give some remarkable instances in the remainder of my solitary residence in this dismal place. I believe the reader of this will not think it strange if I confess that these anxieties, these constant dangers I lived in, and the concern that was now upon me, put an end to all invention, and to all the controversies that I had laid for my future accommodations and conveniences. I had the care of my safety more now upon my hands than that of my food. I cared not to drive a nail, or chop a stick of wood now, for fear the noise I might make should be heard. Much less would I fire a gun for the same reason. And above all, I was intolerably uneasy at making any fire, lest the smoke, which is visible at a great distance in the day, should betray me. For this reason, I removed that part of my business which required fire, such as burning of pots and pipes, etc., into my new apartment in the woods, where, after I had been some time, I found to my unspeakable consolation a mere natural cave in the earth, which went in a vast way, and where, I dare say, no savage had been at the mouth of it, would be so hardy as to venture in, nor, indeed, would any man else, but one who, like me, wanted nothing so much as a safe retreat. The mouth of this hollow was at the bottom of a great rock, where, by mere accident, I would say, if I did not see abundant reason to ascribe all such things now to providence, I was cutting down some thick branches of trees to make charcoal. And before I go on, I must observe the reason of my making this charcoal, which was this. I was afraid of making a smoke about my habitation, as I said before. And yet I could not live there without baking my bread, cooking my meat, etc. So I contrived to burn some wood here, as I had seen done in England, under turf, till it became chark, or dry coal. And then putting the fire out, I preserved the coal to carry home, and perform the other services for which fire was wanting, without danger of smoke. But this is by the by. While I was cutting down some wood here, I perceived that, behind a very thick branch of low brushwood, or underwood, there was a kind of hollow place. I was curious to look in it, and getting with difficulty into the mouth of it, I found it was pretty large, that is to say, sufficient for me to stand upright in, and perhaps another with me. But I must confess to you that I made more haste out than I did in. When looking farther into the place, and which was perfectly dark, I saw two broad shining eyes of some creature, whether devil or man I knew not, which twinkled like two stars, the dim light from the cave's mouth shining directly in, and making the reflection. However, after some pause I recovered myself, and began to call myself a thousand fools, and to think that he that was afraid to see the devil was not fit to live twenty years in an island all alone, and that I might well think there was nothing in this cave that was more frightful than myself. Upon this, plucking up my courage, I took up a firebrand, and in I rushed again, with the stick flaming in my hand. I had not gone three steps in before I was almost as frightened as before, for I heard a very loud sigh, like that of a man in some pain, and it was followed by a broken noise, as of words half expressed, 
and then a deep sigh again. I stepped back and was indeed struck with such a surprise that it put me into a cold sweat, and if I had had a hat on my head, I will not answer for it that my hair might not have lifted it off, but still plucking up my spirits as well as I could, and encouraging myself a little with considering that the power and presence of God was everywhere, and was able to protect me, I stepped forward again, and by the light of the firebrand, holding it up a little over my head, I saw lying on the ground a monstrous, frightful old he-goat, just making his will, as we say, and gasping for life, and dying, indeed, of mere old age. I stirred him a little to see if I could get him out, and he essayed to get up, but was not able to raise himself, and I thought with myself he might even lie there, for if he had frightened me, so he would certainly fright any of the savages, if any of them would be so hardy as to come in there while he had any life in him. I was now recovered from my surprise, and began to look round me, when I found the cave was but very small. That is to say, it might be about twelve feet over, but in no manner of shape, neither round nor square, no hands having ever been employed in making it but those of mere nature. I observed also that there was a place at the farther side of it that went in further, but was so low that it required me to creep upon my hands and knees to go into it, and whither it went I knew not. So, having no candle, I gave it over for that time, but resolved to go again the next day provided with candles and a tinderbox, which I had made of the lock of one of the muskets, with some wildfire in the pan. Accordingly, the next day I came provided with six large candles of my own making for I made very good candles now of goat's tallow, but was hard set for candle wick, using sometimes rags or rope yarn, and sometimes the dried rind of a weed like nettles. And going into this low place, I was obliged to creep upon all fours, as I have said, almost ten yards, which, by the way, I thought was a venture bold enough, considering that I knew not how far it might go, nor what was beyond it. When I had got through the strait, I found the roof rose higher up, I believe near twenty feet. But never was such a glorious sight seen in the island, I dare say, as it was to look round the sides and roof of this vault, or cave. The wall reflected a hundred thousand lights to me from my two candles. What it was in the rock, whether diamonds or any other precious stones, or gold which I rather supposed it to be, I knew not. The place I was in was a most delightful cavity or grotto, though perfectly dark. The floor was dry and level, and had a sort of a small loose gravel upon it, so that there was no nauseous or venomous creature to be seen, neither was there any damp or wet on the sides or roof. The only difficulty in it was the entrance, which, however, as it was a place of security, and such a retreat as I wanted, I thought was a convenience, so that I was really rejoiced at the discovery, and resolved without any delay to bring some of those things which I was most anxious about to this place. Particularly, I resolved to bring hither my magazine of powder, and all my spare arms, namely two fowling pieces, for I had three in all, and three muskets, for of them I had eight in all. So I kept in my castle only five, which stood ready mounted like pieces of cannon on my outmost fence, and were ready also to take out upon any expedition. Upon this occasion of removing my ammunition, I happened to open the barrel of powder which I took up out of the sea, and which had been wet, and I found that the water had penetrated about three or four inches into the powder on every side, 
which caking and growing hard, had preserved the inside like a kernel in the shell, so that I had near sixty pounds of very good powder in the center of the cask. This was a very agreeable discovery to me at that time, so I carried all away thither, never keeping above two or three pounds of powder with me in my castle, for fear of a surprise of any kind. I also carried thither all the lead I had left for bullets. I fancied myself now like one of the ancient giants, who were said to live in caves and holes in the rocks, where none could come at them. For I persuaded myself while I was here, that if five hundred savages were to hunt me, they could never find me out, or if they did, they would not venture to attack me here. The old goat whom I found expiring died in the mouth of the cave the next day after I made this discovery, and I found it much easier to dig a great hole there and throw him in and cover him with earth than to drag him out, so I interred him there to prevent offense to my nose. Tis the gift to be simple, tis the gift to be free, tis the gift to come down where we ought to be, and when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right.